Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, your host, Sarah Ivory. Today, Jerusalem as an emerging cultural capital. Now, maybe you've heard of the American Academy in Rome or the American Academy in Berlin. Both of them are long-standing residencies for American artists to pursue projects while living in completely awesome, culturally rich capitals. Now, a new American Academy has been added to the mix. This one is in Jerusalem. It's the brainchild of Elise Bernhardt, who is the president and CEO at the Foundation for Jewish Culture. We're going to be speaking today with Elise and then with each of the four fellows who've been selected to be part of the very first class of American Academy fellows in Jerusalem. They're going to be headed there in October for a nine week stint. Elise Bernhardt, welcome to Box Tablet. Thanks, Sarah. So how did you come up with this idea? Um, I always think your life is one series of collisions after another. And I worked for a long time in the arts at Dancing in the Streets and then at the kitchen. And one of the artists we had at the kitchen had been a fellow at the American Academy in Rome. And she was doing some incredible work engaging with that city. Real ahead, um, I had a visitor from the director of Mishkanot Shananim. It's a guest house. All the famous artists you've ever heard of have stayed there. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, right under the windmill, looking at the old city. It's quite gorgeous. And uh, he was telling me about all of the conferences, people from all countries, and I just thought, you should have the American Academy in Jerusalem. And he didn't know what that was. I said, well, there's one in Rome and there's one in Berlin. And I said... If they have an academy, Jerusalem, 5,000 years old and home to every religion and like all that beautiful stone and light and air and said, Jerusalem should have one. So uh, we got a little money and I like to say we agreed to work together. We would pick them and they would host them because <laughs> uh, our job is really to select artists and scholars exploring the Jewish experience. And we did a pilot last summer. Before we go any further, I just want to ask you, is the American Academy in Jerusalem affiliated with the academies in Rome or in Berlin? This is interesting. Um, The first person I went to talk to after we sort of had this brainstorm was Adele Chatfield-Taylor, who is the director of the Rome Academy and has been for many years and is very, very lovely. And I said, I went to her, I said, I don't know, can we do this? Is there, she said, well, you know, There's no copyright. There's no club to buy into. You know, Rome has its academy, and we're happy that Berlin has its academy. And I think it would be fantastic if Jerusalem would have its academy. And, you know, we should figure out ways. And she's been incredibly helpful, as has Gary Smith, the director in Berlin, at giving us tips. You know, what what is it that you do to orient a person to a new city? And what can you do to make their life easier? And how can you extend their stay? And uh, like Gary is uh, famous for saying that their measure of success is how many times their fellows get invited back. So how do you facilitate that happening? And how do you introduce your fellows to as many people and as many institutions and colleagues as they can in the time they're there? I think for a lot of people, when they think about Berlin or Rome, though, they definitely think of those cities as very, very vibrant uh, cultural Meccas. Now, Jerusalem is a very vibrant place, and it's a Mecca in a lot of ways, but for history, for politics, for religion, not necessarily for culture. Is the idea a little bit more aspirational for it to become a cultural center than it actually is? We're in the middle of what I think is a cultural renaissance for Jerusalem, and it's both um, an aspiration of the mayors, who's, who's talked about wanting to make Jerusalem a destination, 
the Schusterman Foundation, which started the Jerusalem Season of Culture, which is very much about attracting people to Jerusalem for cultural reasons. I went back to Jerusalem after not being there for 30 years in 2004. And maybe it was the nature of the lens I was wearing or who showed me around. But we went to Zeke Studio, which was this collective of visual artists who had this Quonset hut in Abu Ghosh. And they did these crazy multimedia performances. We went to Hazira, which had this little studio in Talpiot. We went to Hama Abada. Like, my exposure was not going to the wall. It was, was that, is that a theater? It's uh, an experimental theater. So the notion that all of this great uh, experimental stuff was happening, to me, was so interesting. So working with the energy that's there, there's so many young people. The Bitsalel has started a new gallery downtown. But it's called Yaffa 23. There's 40,000 students in Jerusalem. There's a lot of art students. But Salel is like the hardest art school to get into, and what do they do after? So how do you create a climate and an ecosystem where people can stay after school, if you will, and continue to make work? Uh, so to me, our position is like, let's help senior artists have a new facet of their careers develop with our help. And let's let them bring some expertise that may be useful to the people who are working there in, a, in any cultural capacity. How are the fellows selected? Um, we decided that with the launch of a, a real American academy in Jerusalem that we should make this a very thorough process. Uh, we went to 150 cultural institutions in Israel and the United States. So curators, presenters, people who ran institutions, you know, and we asked for recommendations. And we had a very serious brief, which was that we really wanted artists who were comfortable in a kind of engagement process. Then those nominations came in, those nominees were invited to apply. And uh, we had probably upwards of 50 applications and um, ultimately, those applicants were judged by a really incredible panel. You know, so they selected the fellows, and we sat and watched in awe. Interestingly, you have in this group of fellows and in your pilot year, urban planners, which I don't think of necessarily as a category of artist. What was the thinking in including them? It just seemed to me that because Jerusalem is in this constant kind of odd way of growing, that urban planning really needed to be a piece of the thinking. And I didn't know, but what we found out was that there are planners there who've been working long and hard, and it's Shlomo Hassan from Hebrew University who teaches planning to students and to the army. There's the Kidron Valley uh, Water and Sewer Group, which is Palestinian and Israeli planners who are so excited to have a planner from the states. And uh, the deputy mayor who's working on a kind of version of the High Line, which is to turn the railroad tracks into a bike path, which she has done quite successfully. And uh, our urban planner from last year, Josh, has been back many times, which is a great sign of success. So we just knew that that would be a piece of the fellowship that made sense. If you want to create a cultural ecology, planning is kind of key to it. I just have one more question for mm -hmm. you, Elise. What advice do you have for the fellows, whether it's practical or lofty, about getting by in Jerusalem on a day-to-day -day basis? Walk a lot. Wear a hat. <laughs> um, be really open. There's so many ways to approach this place. 
And you just have to go with your your eyes and your ears wide open. Elise Bernhard, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Next up, David Karnofsky has worked for New York City in some urban planning capacity for about 12 or 13 years. His expertise is in working with public and private entities to encourage the development and preservation of art spaces. He's been involved in the development of the High Line, which is the restoration of an abandoned elevated train track that's now a green space that runs along a 20-block stretch of Manhattan. David, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about what you're thinking you'd like to do with your residency in Jerusalem. Sure. Um, what I'd like to do is explore uh, whether there are things that we've done in New York City uh, over the past 20 or 30 years in terms of encouraging uh, arts uses through zoning and land use um, that could be adapted to a very different environment, uh, obviously a very different environment in, in the city of Jerusalem. I imagine the work that you do in New York has required you to navigate all kinds of really complicated rules and regulations related to land use, to the collaboration between public and private groups, and juggling all sorts of competing interests. How will you transfer your experience here, which is grounded so much in the particularities of New York City, to a city that is fraught with so many different kinds of competing interests? Well, there's no question that the way you implement things uh, has a lot to do with the particularities of of the place. Um, But I think more importantly, I'm interested in the question of whether uh, some of the basic concepts uh, that we've developed here can translate into a different environment and how exactly uh, you implement them is a different question. But the first question is, you know, are some of the things that we've done here in terms of creating incentives for uh, private parties to work with the public sector to create open spaces and arts uses uh, workable uh, in Jerusalem. And, and, and that's, that's sort of the initial question from a planning level. And how you get there is a, is a, is a different question that's much more complicated than something that I'd have to explore once, once I get there. Are you uh, taking any time to read up on Israeli zoning laws? I am certainly going to try to do that, and um, I'm also going to be speaking to municipal officials and planners uh, in, in, in the city government before I go uh, to get a little mini-tutorial, but uh, there's no question that there's a lot to learn. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think this is about learning the fine print of all of their laws and regulations. It's about... Uh, trying to, uh, to to see whether there are people there who are interested in what I'm interested in. Thanks so much for talking to us, and have a great residency. Enjoy. Thank you. Next, we're speaking with Lynn Avadenka, who is the only visual artist in this group of fellows. Lynn is based in Detroit, but right now she's in the midst of a cross-country road trip with her son. Where are you specifically right now? I am in uh, Bryce Canyon, close to Bryce Canyon National Park. Wow, that must be beautiful out there. Yeah, spectacular. Let's talk a little bit about your work. Not only are you the only visual artist in the group, but you're also, I think, the only one who's worked with Jewish religious texts before. None of that, though, gets at the beautiful work that you're doing, which combines words and abstract images and different kinds of printmaking. How would you describe your work? Uh, I would say that um, my work is inspired by the idea of the book itself, both what it looks like and what it means. So I'm interested in working with text um, for the meaning that it conveys, but also the fact that letters in an abstract sense are beautiful as well. And I also find that text invites people into the work. Uh, The idea that that alphabetic system is a code that somehow we figured out how to decipher, so people will walk right up to work with text. And then I've already gotten them halfway there to look at the rest of what I'm doing. What sort of project are you going to take on in Jerusalem? 
Um, I am going to continue this idea that I've been working on, looking for similarities in the cultures of Judaism and Islam. So in particular now I'm going to be looking at the story of Joseph and his brothers, which is uh, a narrative that I'm more familiar with from the Bible, from the Torah, but um, I've learned that it's a, a pretty compelling narrative in the Quran as well. So I'm interested in where the story is different and where it converges it seemed to me to be a pretty interesting way to look at Jerusalem, too, through two different lenses to see, you know, if the story overlaps at all. Can you tell us briefly where does the story of Joseph converge and diverge between the Torah and, and the Quran? I would say that at this point, I don't really know. I started <laughs> reading, and uh, I think in both stories, I know that Joseph is um, is a model of what both cultures hope to have viewed as, you know, a moral person because he's tempted along the way, and then it's his responses to these temptations, whether it's Potiphar's wife or, you know, his own arrogance at his dreams. But part of what I'll be doing there is um, doing more research. Um, this fellowship has, uh, is going to open up a lot of doors to scholars who know much more than me that are going to be there to help me. Great. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us. I imagine there's a lot of road ahead for you to drive today, so <laughs> we'll, we'll let you get to it. Okay. Thank you. David Herskowitz, you're the founder and artistic director of Target Margin Theater here in New York City, and you've directed a lot of productions that are reinterpretations of classic theater or literature. But from what I understand, the project that you've proposed for your residency in Jerusalem takes you into territory you've never really explored before. Is that right? You know, I try to do projects that always take me into territory I haven't explored. If I feel like I'm going over material that I'm familiar with somehow, it, that kills it for me. So it, that's the adventure. And in this case, it's a very particular one that I'm, that I'm excited about. What is it exactly? There is a moment in the history of Yiddish theater in the early 20th century when Jewish theaters in Europe and especially in Russia overlapped very fruitfully with the kind of first wave of the what came to be called the avant-garde, you know, uh, all the kind of crazy manifesto-based art that flourished around the turn of the last century. And that intersection, that kind of smashing together of different forces is, to me, tremendously exciting. But now I think of Yiddish theater as linked specifically to New York City and not at all to Jerusalem. Well, that is true. And of course, YIVO is here, as well as large cultural groups that have their own relationship to Yiddish. There are similar resources and communities that exist in Israel and in Jerusalem in particular. On the one hand, there is archival and documentary source material that is there to be mined. And on the other hand, there are communities of theater and art makers who have their own personal and artistic connection to that history, either aesthetically speaking or more specifically by heritage from Soviet Jewry that has found its way to the state of Israel. It's almost like an archival expedition you're going on, and then you'll see if a theater piece can be made out of it. Yeah, but the way that I do research is not just reading, talking, and learning, although I love those things and they're important, but I do research by doing it. So we're going to get a room and a bunch of people who may or may not, some of whom may have Yiddish experience and some of whom may just be, you know, like-minded theatrical experimentalists in Israel and get into a room and see what kind of work we might be able to create. Um, and for me, that's an important way of making theater, of constructing a performance event out of history, memory, and life.
David Herskowitz, thank you so much for speaking with us. My pleasure. Next up, Donald Byrd. Donald is a choreographer and the artistic director of the Spectrum Dance Theater in Seattle. He was nominated for a Tony Award for his choreography for The Color Purple. Donald, what was your reaction when you first found out that you'd been nominated for this fellowship? Um, when I found out, I was stunned, actually. My jaw dropped because it was, it was completely unexpected. Some of the other nominees had to come up with a proposal from scratch once they found out that they were going to be uh, applying for this. But that wasn't the case with you. Is that right? There was a project that I had worked on before that had a result that was unexpected. And this seemed like an, an opportunity for me to revisit that project with a different perspective. What is that project? Uh, that project was a piece that was entitled A Chekhovian Resolution. And what the idea of the project was, was to put American, Israeli, Palestinian artists together and to create what I call an art thingy, because I didn't know what it would be, but it would be some kind of dance theater piece. And kind of the underlying thinking of it was that we would be, metaphorically, would be stand-ins for the peace process. And what was unexpected about it was that that whole paradigm was replicated. You mean the artists couldn't couldn't come up with a plan and execute it? Well, I couldn't get artists to the table, ah. much less walk into a room and start doing it. So how will the new piece differ? What will the How will the approach be uh, dissimilar from what was? Well, I think it's about a kind of disillusionment. I'm going into this project now, this new version of it, not with any kind of idealism, actually, but with that sense of disillusionment and with the history of disappointment and failure. And I think, you you know, if you're going to translate the Israeli-Palestinian conflict into into something artistic, uh, you have to confront disillusionment. And so how do you do something where disillusionment, it does not lead to despair, Mm -hmm. But it leads to finding other solutions, ones that you did not think of before, so that a sense of uh, heightened creativity or more uh, more creative solutions then come into play. Tell me, have you spent time in Jerusalem? Uh, when I was working on a Chekhovian resolution, I spent about 10 days in Jerusalem. How did you like it? I loved it. I, I, there are a couple of things I loved about it. I loved that there were so many. It was extremely diverse. It was much more diverse than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. There are religious Jews. There are uh, secular Jews. There are ultra-conservative Jews. There are people that kind of fall somewhere in the, in the middle. And the same was I found true among Arabs that I, I met there. There are more Christians there than I thought. Then I loved how everything felt like it was right on top. But people were on top of each other in some ways. I love the fact that I was conscious all the time of the dispute, not in a bad way conscious of it, but the sense of this is mine, this is yours, no, I want this. I could feel that in the city. And so it had a kind of vitality and energy about it that I didn't feel anyplace else in Israel. What's the first thing you want to do when you get back there and have a moment to spare? Uh, I actually, I want to go to the American Colony Hotel and sit in the garden and have a drink. (laughs) That's a fantastic place. (laughs) Well, Donald Byrd, thank you so much for speaking with us. Oh, sure. It's my pleasure. 
Donald Byrd, David Herskovitz, Lynn Avedenka, and David Karnofsky are the four fellows selected for the first American Academy in Jerusalem. They'll be headed to Israel in October for a nine-week stint. We also spoke with Elise Bernhardt, who is the CEO of the Foundation for Jewish Culture. Now, people, I want to invite you once again to give us your feedback on the podcast. Send us a note. You can email us at podcast at tabletmag.com. I also urge you, if you are listening to Vox Tablet through iTunes, to go to iTunes to write a review. It's a great way to bring new listeners to Vox Tablet. Write a review on iTunes. Help spread the word. Help us out, please. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. We thank you so much for listening. Please join us again next week. 